0: Welcome to Unraveling Crypto, the podcast. I'm your host, Vane. If you're curious about Web3, but don't know where to start, you're in the right spot. I know how full your life is already, and I also know how much freedom this expansive space can offer. Each episode, we bring on Web3 experts to share what they love. Through easy conversation, we cover topics like financial literacy, blockchain, and how to use these in practical ways. It's not just about technology, but about who is building it and why it's being built. Welcome back everyone. Today I sat down with Jamil to talk about his background in engineering and what got him into blockchain. And we discussed why making a difference is hugely important to him talked about digital ownership and how he balances his long hours immersed in tech with reconnecting to the physical world around him. It's such a juicy conversation and I hope that you enjoy it. As a PS, I'm a little under the weather right now, but I hope that you enjoy this conversation with Jamil as much as I did. Jamil, welcome to Unraveling Crypto. Thank
1: you. Thanks so much for having me on. Excited to be here.
0: It's such a pleasure. I Before we get started, I just want to start with maybe like a, a way to ground and connect. Um, and I love to do that with like, uh, what are you grateful for at this moment?
1: What am I grateful for? So many things right now. I mean, I I I think just being able to work on the problems that I find that are meaningful in a place that I love, you know, in a, in a in a city that I that I'm grateful for, in a, a, a and for the stacks community, and to, to just be around people like you, and and others in the community that are just give me so much energy and so much excitement to do what I'm doing.
0: Mm, yeah, I always love to start with like gratitude. Just it always brings us back to the present moment. Um, after like a crazy day, I would love for you to just share a little bit about who you are and what you're doing right now. So. I guess
1: my, my background has always been in, I, I've always enjoyed building things. You know, it's kind of an engineering cliche, but that that's genuinely what I've always loved to do. You know, from high school, I remember when, you know, the the first iPhone came out and the first thing I just loved to do was, you know, jailbreak the phone and, and you know, write apps even before the app store came out and, and learning how to code and learning how to build things on this, you know, magical new new device and magical new platform and that's how I got started and that's sort of being able to see you know at an at earlier age how people can use what you're building and start using what you're creating and you just noticing that this is how you can make an impact in the world and, and make an impact on people and actually make a difference in their lives was a, was a big thing that, that sort of propelled me into computer science. And likewise, that's why I, you know sort of studied computer engineering in university, and then eventually getting into machine learning, working at my dream company, Apple, at the time, uh, to to you know continue that that sort of pattern of trying to make an impact on on the user, on the user experience, on on how people use their devices and interact with technology, and that's sort of what brought me here today too, because I noticed a lot of problems in the Stacks ecosystem when I first got into it. Had a great community, had a great group of people, had an amazing set of diverse artists, but the existing platforms that were on Stacks were charging artists extremely high fees. They were you know, locking out people. There was no place to like see all of your NFTs in one place. And it was kind of like, this is one of those chances where you see that opportunity to make that impact on people and to on artists and on collectors and to make a difference, and so it was almost a no-brainer. You know, like, hey, this is what I've been doing for my whole life, and I see, I know an opportunity to make a difference and to build something useful, and so that, that that's essentially how how Gamma started.
0: So I I can't wait to dive into Gamma, but before then, what's your superpower? So that thing that comes to you effortlessly that you can do. No matter what, I,
1: I think honestly, a lot of what I what I do takes a lot of effort. I'm always envious of people that can just come into a situation and they have a natural talent and they can just like go and like you're like, how do you how do you know how to do that? How do? You do that? And sometimes they're just like, well, I just I, I can just do it. I I think most of what I do, um, whether it's technical or otherwise, has been a a, a long slog. You know, some people. Have said, for example, I remember in my first internship, I got to present to like vice presidents at, at Apple and like very senior people. And afterwards, I got a lot of compliments. You know, where do you learn all of those presentation skills? Or like, how did you how did you build this? And what they didn't see was like me sitting with my manager up until like 10 p.m. You know, working on this and practicing and rehearsing and you know just repeating and repeating and 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 it it so it I think. A lot of things that that have come into my life have been very intentional, very it's taken a lot of work to get to where I am, even if it's not you know where where necessarily I want to be. Although the one thing that I will say that i I have a pattern that I think I, I, I should be a bit more appreciative of is identifying some of those patterns of of where those gaps are and where the future is going quite early. Um, I, I was very, I'm I'm always an early adopter in technology. I remember, like, you know, I joined Twitter in, like, 2007. I was, like, early on in the iPhone development. I was, I was always, like, I think, I know, I, I may not be able to, like, always build the best things, but I think I have a good eye for knowing when something is good when I see it. Um, I remember, like, even it went back in, you know, early university, I was, like, we were going to a conference, and, Nobody back then had heard of Uber or any of these, uh, you know, right. The back then it was just Uber. And back then it was a secret service looking guy in a big Chevy suburban. Uh, and that's what Uber was. It was no Uber X. It was like a, a proper, like black car uh, only. And, uh, and so I, I think that's one thing that I I sort of appreciate is, you know, the I appreciate good technology and good experiences when I see them.
0: Yeah, I mean, and that's kind of how you started with Gamma. So can you tell us a little bit about what Gamma is and um, and what inspired you to build it?
1: Yeah, so I think it, it. what inspired me to build it is not a grand story. It, it was a very pragmatic one and one that I, I kind of alluded to earlier, which is there were existing platforms that were gouging artists that were being very extractive, out of the community, they were, they were figuring out, how can I make the most money off of people? And how can I charge the most commissions? And how can I like copy, you know, derivative art and then, and then publish it uh, in order to charge people, you know, hundreds of dollars for work that they didn't even do. And you clearly know that something is wrong here and that there's an opportunity to do better. And so it was a very pragmatic reason of, there's a gap here, I wanna build something useful. And it wasn't about the money, right? Like not about building something that can make the most money, but building something that I was personally annoyed at these things. So I wanted to build something that was better. And so that's how that's how this started. I actually didn't know much about NFTs or or crypto or anything like that. I dabbled in crypto for years, you know, Bitcoin since 2014, never made any money off of it or anything. But I never really dove in deeply. And I don't think you can really understand the technology until you you just take the plunge and and dive in deeply. So, over time, we've also developed a set of principles and values that have come out of that original, um, original idea of building something useful for artists and for creators, and now focusing more deeply on, that's what makes an NFT marketplace what it is right? It's the ability to to showcase the art that these these creators are making and to be able to introduce a sense of connection between collectors. So, for example, one of the things that we built from day one, which even OpenSea doesn't do, is like just being able to go to gamma.io slash jamil.btc. That's my decentralized identity. That's how everybody knows me on Twitter, on Discord. And that's how I showcase who I am as a collector. Uh, my My you know, memberships, my collections, my art, that's all on there. And to be able to connect with other people in the same way, in the way that you know and you care about them in the real world, and Twitter, on Discord, I think is an important part of, of the way we build our, our platform. So providing value in summary to both the artists, um, making sure that they can release their work and showcase their work in a way that's open, low fee and easy and without the need for a developer, importantly, and secondly, to communicate very um, clearly the community aspect of NFTs and allow people to interact um, based on their NFTs and uh, uh, and sort of more of your social platform.
0: Yeah, and that's quite powerful. And But could you share with us what are NFTs? I know that's a buzzword and many of us are seeing them, um, but what are NFTs and Also, what's their value?
1: Yeah, I think if you ask 10 people about what NFTs are, they will give you 10 different answers. And that sort of of, uh, speaks to the nature of them as well. If I were to ask you, you know, sort of what is an object, you can't really answer that so well. But what I think is important is to understand that in the physical world, you have a very clear sense of ownership. I own this piece of art. It's in my house. I have it in my possession. If someone tries to steal it from me, I can call the police and they can try to get it back. In the digital world up until now, we didn't really have an analog for that. If you own something in a game or if you own something on a website, you don't actually own that. The company that's managing it can take it from you at any time. If you have a Netflix subscription, they can turn that off at any time. right? If you have... Um, if you have certain in-game assets on Steam or something like that, you just bought some games, they can take it from you at any time. And so we're so used to owning things and being comfortable with owning things in the real world that we haven't realized that we've completely given that up in the digital world, that we've sort of are used to this environment where you don't own anything. Like these companies that you feel like you're paying money to, you don't have any of those in your possession and they can be gone in an instant. And so NFTs fundamentally changed that. It means that suddenly, just like you can own something in the physical world, and nobody can steal these atoms from me, nobody can steal this phone from me at this point in time, now we have the same thing in the digital world. With with NFTs, nobody can steal that from me. And, And that's very, very powerful. Like, no one person can just say, you no longer own this. And from there, you can branch out into so many different possibilities. And that's why you get so many different answers to what is an NFT, because it's really just a technology that enables something else, uh, and the, the technology is a real digital ownership. And from there, you can go in so many different directions, and and the the space of possibilities is really endless.
0: Yeah. What are like? Would you say? What are like the successes or NFT projects that have been successful? Why have they been, or what have their utility? What utilities do they offer?
1: I think the main thing is often, and I don't think people think about this, is when you see the early adoption of a technology like the internet, the first use cases were really community-based. You saw, for example, Usenet groups, which were like email groups basically where people could talk back and forth and find a tribe, a group of people that they really identified with, that they could have discussions with. And I think early on in NFTs, That's almost the lowest friction thing that you can experience is the community aspect. And that's sort of where we see the first uh, examples of digital ownership become very important. Because now I can be part of this community that nobody really governs, you know, you're a member or you're a member. You can permissionlessly trade an NFT, buy one, and you're part of that community. You're part of that group of people in a way that nobody can sort of select and say, I only want these people or I only want those people. And so we saw that sort of emerge as the first big use case for NFTs in like board APIOT Club and, and, and communities like that, where you suddenly find a group of people that share your values, that, that you can have fun with, that you, you can meet up in real life or in the digital world with. And that's, I think, only the, the beginning, right? That's like the first seed of what the possibilities are, just like in the Internet when you first had those Usenet groups and those, those discussion groups you'll start to see more fundamental uh, use cases come up and you're already starting to see a few of those where now you're starting to see club memberships, right? Whether it's golf or wineries or whatever, and you're starting to see um, subscriptions for software. Just like I told you, Netflix can steal your, just take away your subscription at any time. Now you're starting to see companies invent better models for modeling how they make money over subscriptions and how they represent ownership over their product. And again, the, you're just going to see this like explosion, you know, this sort of funnel of use cases They you start from those simple community uh, based use cases to like subscriptions and ownership. And, and you're going to have more and more stacked on top of that.
0: So there's different oh. types of NFTs. And of course, like what are what makes NFTs on Bitcoin special?
1: Yeah, I think NFTs actually first started on Bitcoin um, with platforms like Counterparty. I think and, and even before that, stuff like colored coins, which was the idea that some Bitcoin can be actually different than others. And that makes it non-fungible, right? You can't exchange this Bitcoin for, for another Bitcoin uh, transaction, essentially. Um, I think one of the things that is important when you talk about... Uh, I said, no central authority can, can steal this digital asset from you. That comes from the consensus algorithm, which is the root of what a blockchain is. Who decides what blocks get mined? And Bitcoin's innovation was that there is no central authority that decides what blocks get mined. It's all a permissionless protocol where anybody can come in as a miner and no one transaction can be censored unless 51% of the miners have the power. And right now it's much more decentralized than 51%. So the platform that you're building on affects those security guarantees. It affects whether your platform is truly decentralized or not. And Bitcoin is the most decentralized out of all the blockchains that are out there. It has the most distribution over mining power, has the strongest security guarantees with proof of work. And I think people forget that underlying all of this, we're building this for a reason. And that's to ensure that you're ownership, your digital ownership is secure and safe, just as the stuff in your home is secure and safe. And uh, there is no better place to do that on Bitcoin. It doesn't, you feel like it doesn't matter until it matters and someone steals it from you. Uh, You know, so I think building on the most secure platform is very important in ensuring that your assets are safe and secure.
0: Okay. So I want to kind of like pick your brain on something because when I first got into the space, I would hear a lot of like the miners and I thought miners <laughs> before knowing, I'm like, who are the miners? What are they doing? So can you just share a little bit or like an example that gives a bit of context about what miners are? Yeah. So
1: um, what happens is when a blockchain, what a blockchain is, is essentially what, 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 it, what, it, what it sounds like. It's a chain of blocks. And each block basically records a set of transactions or a set of events that happen. So if I say, uh, hey, I want to send Vane this NFT, I can send a transaction saying, I'm sending this to you. Now, I'm the only one that can send a transaction like that. Nobody else can say, I'm sending Jamil's NFT to someone else. I'm the only one that can do that. Um, And what a miner does is it actually, they include that transaction in one of those blocks that forms a history of the blockchain. And what's nice about this is you can go back from the tip of the blockchain all the way to the end and say exactly what happened at each moment. And you can trace the history back all the way to the original Bitcoin, right, all the way to the original Genesis block. And so what's great about this is that it ensures that at any point in time, you know, exactly where things were, you can trace back that this person really owned these assets, that this person had the permission to transfer these assets and verify that everything was secure. And miners are the ones responsible for adding to those blocks and and including your transaction in that larger blockchain.
0: Okay, this I think everyone listening to this is gonna really appreciate this. <laughs> um, so thank you for that. How would you, what would you like if you can explain what Stacks is um, to to the community as well?
1: Yeah, so I think one of the things with Bitcoin is it it was invented to be primarily, although not exclusively, a peer-to-peer electronic cash, which is like the title of the Bitcoin white paper. And what this meant is that Bitcoin does something really well, which is that it tracks ownership over amounts really well. So it says like I have two Bitcoin or you have three, and that's through a, a record of transactions. So I, I can spend these three bit this much Bitcoin and you can spend this much Bitcoin. And it records that very well. But What the original Bitcoin protocol uh, struggles with a little bit is uh, more extended use cases beyond that. So that means recording things like non-fungible asset ownership, right? like NFTs, like art, or, or, or more complex representations. And so what Stacks does is it builds on top of Bitcoin to allow Bitcoin to represent those most more complex behavior, like what we see in the world of decentralized finance or fine art. And all of these things can now be represented in the same way and with the same security guarantees that Bitcoin has. So Stacks just makes Bitcoin more powerful or more flexible in a way.
0: And coming back to why would you recommend someone to first experience um, Web3 and crypto with Stacks versus other?
1: yeah, I think there there are a few reasons. Some are principles, and some are I like to split this up into like, why should you build on stacks in theory, and why should you build on stacks or why should you come to stacks in practice? And in theory, um, we went over some of that, which is the security of bitcoin and and all of that. But you might ask, well, how does that make a difference in my real life? Like well, why should I actually download the hero wallet and start trading nFTs on stacks? And I think some of that is the principles. But there are also very pragmatic reasons to do it, too. Um, The transaction fees are extremely low. Right now on Ethereum, um, I think I've I've spent like thousands, if not tens of thousands of dollars on transaction fees alone on Ethereum, whereas on Stacks, you'll spend less than a dollar. So it's a really like low fee, easy way of getting into the blockchain if you've been priced out of Ethereum's transaction fees, which can be a huge issue in accessibility uh, in Web3 when we want to enable more people to be able to use these platforms we need to make it affordable and it's affordable on several levels too you can get nfts you can play around in the ecosystem for not not much money compared to ethereum which is really like this almost it shuts out people that are that are just trying to get into web3 stacks is a much more open much more permissionless protocol sort of in the in the line of bitcoin and the other reason i think is uh, the other pragmatic reason is is the people. I think on a lot of other blockchains, you see people that are in it for the money or in it to flip or in it to, you know, just try and be as extractive or make the most money as possible. But I think on Stacks, and you, I, I would love to hear your thoughts on this, too, because I know you've been involved in the community quite a bit, is I find people are very helpful, very open, very appreciative, and just out there t- to inform, to help, and to to just make friends together. And I really love that about about Stacks and about the community here.
0: Yeah, I agree. I I mean, I came into the space, I knew about crypto and I knew about Web3 for a while now, but coming into Stacks was wonderful because everybody is so welcoming and I had very little knowledge and I would message and DMs and then go on Twitters and everybody would be like, yeah, just schedule a call with me. I mean, I know maybe now it's not, as like maybe not the same, but it was really great to just be connecting with one-on-one. And then you make friends along the way too. You connect with different people. And if it wasn't for Stacks, I don't think I would have been creating Unraveling Crypto either. So it just, it all aligns really perfectly. And it's, I, for me, I would definitely recommend everyone come in and experience because it's the right time to do so um, with Stacks. So, Um, what would you say are the differences between like if if somebody is curious about coming into Web three, like what are the main differences between Web two and Web three?
1: Yeah, I think there's there's often this um this sort of uh, Chris Dixon I think puts it this way. He goes Web Web one is all about reading, right? Web one is like the original era of the internet where you where you sort of consume things. And this is what we're used to, right? In the early days of the internet, this is what we did. We would, you know, um, read, you know, Wikipedia, you know, when that came out, or we'd read the news, or this is this is what the the first value proposition of the original internet was. This is how we get information. And this is how people explain the internet in the first era. You just pull out something from, you know, you pull out your computer, or even, even to the point of like, you know, it, 2007, you know, that that sort of era, 2008, before the age of social media, it was really you use this to get informed about things. And even when you look at the use cases for the first iPhone or or things like that, it's all about how I consume things. And for Web 2, it's also about writing. So Web 1 is read, and Web 2 is like read and write. So now I'm posting to Twitter, I'm posting to Facebook. And that was sort of this 2007, 2008 to, to today period where... It's about how you interact with other people on the internet as well. The problem with that is that companies will find a way to make money off of you, make money off of the way that you're reading, way that you're writing, um, and target advertisements to you and try to sell you things. And web three is, so web one is read, web two is read and write, and web three is read, write, and own. So now just going back to our first topic of what NFTs are, it's about ownership. Digital ownership, and now what you what you uh, both what you consume and what you create can be owned as well. And now, like artists, are no longer being exploited for you know uh, no pay or, um, or or low wages. They can actually make money off of their work on the internet in a in a completely decentralized way. And when you write on platforms like Mirror or cycle you can also own what you write as well it doesn't belong to the platform it belongs to you and i think this is one of the central tenets of web3 is that you not only read and write you also own what you're doing on the internet and you own your assets and that is a fundamental change from the web2 way of doing things where the companies and the platforms that are providing this have ownership over over you and your content
0: yeah yeah i i I think that's one of the best explanations um that I've always also heard and seen and I love the way that he explains it and um thank you for that. So what are you loving most about the space right now? What's like lighting you up?
1: I, I like to put it this way a little bit. I think it might be a bit of a long-winded answer, but I I I'm an aviation nerd as well and like I I'm a, I'm also like a, a a casual pilot and it's always been like a a field that's been really interesting to me. And when you look at where aviation was when the Wright brothers came out, right, when the Wright brothers invented the first airplane, you had this thing that looks completely different from the jet jet airplanes of today. But so you saw 50 years of this incredible innovation where you go from this like canvas biplane to uh, to, you know, aircraft that can cross oceans in 50 years. Right. Literally 50 years from 1903 to 1953. But the aircraft that we look at today look very similar to the aircraft that existed in 1953 or 1963. In fact, some of them are the same models that that existed back then. So you have this first 50 years of incredible innovation, and we sort of figured things out, and now we don't really need to to play with it too much. And in this space, in Web3, we're at a point where we're still very early. And I remember even when we talk about phones so cell phones right it's the same thing i remember when i was in grade school everybody had a different type of cell phone some people had ones that you know uh, slid out and you had like keyboards here some people had blackberries some people had the flip phones still where you had to like hit you know the keys multiple times to text and we sort of like i think we take that period for granted a little bit it's kind of magical to think about that huge design space and all these different options and back then, it wasn't clear who would win, right, or which pattern would win, or that even we that era would have ended, right? Like we probably, if we thought back then, today we'd have the same diversity of phones, right, or the same diversity of technology. But no, we don't. Every time someone takes out a phone, it looks exactly like this. Whether you're using uh, an app, an iPhone or an Android phone or whatever, it looks like a slab of glass, right? And uh, it took us a while to get there. It wasn't just, it didn't happen all at once, just like with the airplane, it didn't go from like the canvas biplane to the jet engine in in, in one day. And nobody in 1903 knew that that's where planes would end up. And right now in Web3, we're at a similar point, where nobody knows where we're going to be in five years. Look, NFTs just took off last year. And we'd be foolish to think that this is where things will end up. And what we're doing right now is the end period no, this is actually the most exciting time in a space where we'll get a ton of things wrong. We will invent our sidekicks and our feature flip phones and and there will be problems and there will things, there will be things that go wrong. But this is exactly that point in time where you need that era of experimentation, of trying new things, of figuring out what works and what doesn't, because in a way, everybody that's building in Web3 is playing their role in inventing the future. And we don't know what that looks like until we build it.
0: And what would you say is lacking or is still missing in in the space? I mean, of course, of the innovation, but currently right now, what would you like to see happening?
1: I think this might be the nature of the people that come into the space as well, is you, you get people that have a very strong sense of what should be right and the principles of blockchain and cryptocurrencies and the decentralization, But in the end as a user as a person who's using these platforms the only thing i care about is how you make this useful to me in a clear and compelling way and how you make the experience a delightful one right now we haven't really nailed that in crypto i think people still are unclear on the value proposition they haven't found that use case that's like here is how it improves my life in a tangible way that affects millions of people. We found things that affect artists, that allow people to get their communities, that affect hundreds of thousands of people or tens of thousands of people. But now it's making that next step and and developing these platforms that now bring that freedom and ownership to millions and billions of people. And for that, we need more diversity of opinion, of thought, of people in the space. You know, we, we have to get away from the existing sort of thought patterns that are coming in Uh, of how we're building from the technology up and we really have to build from the user and the user experience up with the same principles that we've we've established of decentralization and ownership.
0: Yeah what would you say like what advice would you give someone that is has heard about NFTs and wants to create in the space like what's the first thing that they should do?
1: I think mainly it's hard to explain from day one I think just like just like if you asked, um, for example, uh, an artist who is coming from the traditional art world with studios and galleries and things like that, there's so much that you need to be familiar with that I have no idea about in that traditional art world, say, right? Of like, how you start to get your work exhibited at a gallery? How do you talk to people? What sort of art styles are in fashion and what what sort of payment structure or commissions and like, who should I know and who should I talk to? And it's almost the same sort of patterns and dynamics that come out in NFTs as well. I think there's no like one size fits all formula. It's just a matter of talking to as many people as you can and understanding where the space is today. What, uh, what are the best avenues to get your work out there? What we've tried to do at Gamma is make it as easy from the technical side as possible because we know there's so much else that needs to be done to get your art- artwork out there as, a, as an artist, for example a traditional artist, you don't need to worry about code. You don't need to worry about all of that. And we want to get rid of that. Like I want to code my job away. My job shouldn't exist. I, I should I should just be like, artists should just be able to go from from their work to uh, to selling it and getting it out there as quickly as possible without anybody in between. But there's still so much that you need to know to be able to get to that point of how you build up a community, how you build up, you know, traction for your art. How do you get the message out there? And all of these things are an integral part of of, uh, of the NFT sort of experience and flow.
0: Yeah. So, you know, one of the things I always say is like, you just have to get, have to connect with the people and know what's going on before creating anything. And that goes any for any place that you go. You need to know or understand it a little bit more. Um. So moving away from Web3 and what you do, what else do you love to do that's outside of work? Oh, um,
1: over the, past, over the past few months, it hasn't been really too much outside of work, but um, there, there, there are a few things that I enjoy. I like to get, I think a lot of people have uh, have very much like, they like to play games on the computer or something. But I, I honestly, like after I spend 12 hours every day, like seven days a week at a computer, that's the last thing I want to see. And So I, I really enjoy the outdoors. I really enjoy um, going hiking, skiing, uh, mountaineering a little bit. Um, although I'm not fit enough for that anymore, um, uh, I enjoy flying. As I mentioned, I haven't done it in about in a few months, but it's something that I really used to enjoy too. Um, it was another way to sort of connect with something physical, you know, flying a plane and just being, getting a new perspective on 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 you know the same places that we we know and enjoy on the ground, and also the just being like very physical experience you know you actually feel the air that's coming across the wing and the ailerons and the pressure that you, you you feel it's like a very it's a very nice physical experience it's very different from um from coding or anything like that on the computer um, the, the other thing that i i've been enjoying is um this is more on the technical side but my my background is in machine learning so i really enjoy uh, more on if if i do have have more like a, a computer-based or, or or a hobby like that and if I get extra time I really do enjoy learning more and uh and you know just being intellectually curious about about ml the the most recent papers that are coming out I used to do like I, I don't know how I kept up with this but like writing summaries of a uh, uh, one ml paper per day uh for a while and uh so so those are a couple of couple things I enjoy doing, although I haven't, haven't been able to do much of the uh, more academic stuff in a a little while.
0: Yeah. So, I mean, Web3 moves so fast and the technology, any technology really, and I think life in general too, just flies by, but what do you do that grounds you or what do you do other than what you explained? Is there anything else that um, you do for self-care?
1: Yeah, I think the main thing is that you have to like, we weren't meant to sit at a computer you know, for, for this long, or we weren't meant to like stare at our phones or stare at a pane of glass for this long. And this is actually something that I feel like I also wanna work on longer term too, is I feel like there are probably better ways of exposing the benefits of technology without all of the negative mental and physical health effects that technology has on us today, whether it's social media or just the physical effects of looking at a screen or sitting in a certain position for so long every day, and so I think, even though it's small, like just being able to get out for physical, you know, exercise to stimulate the body in the way that it's meant to be, you know, um, being around nature, going for walks, going for runs. I think that's a very important part, especially if you if you spend so much time at a computer.
0: Yeah. So we're wrapping up, but before we go, I'd love to do a lightning round, which is a series of questions that you can just answer as quickly and concise as possible yeah yeah sounds good that's it so the first one is what's your favorite book
1: my favorite book oh that's a quest good question uh i'll go with the it's called godel escher bach by douglas Hofstadter, and it's like an exploration on math and uh and eventually consciousness and it, it sort of goes back to my ai background
0: that's cool so one piece of advice that the world needs to know right now
1: do don't complain, I think it's the biggest is the biggest one you know it's there's so much negativity on social media and things like that, but our power to impact the world is is enormous, right? You have the ability to affect so much change.
0: your go to drink
1: uh boulevardier is my go to drink uh if it's a cocktail bar that's uh um uh, campari sweet vermouth and and bourbon
0: ooh and one thing you can't stand uh. I think it goes
1: back to the, the like, people who are just obsessively negative. I, I can't deal with that. I, I, I think if you're negative, then you find find solutions and find ways to fix it.
0: What do you value most right now?
1: That's another great question. I think, like, it's starting to become this kind of cliche answer too, but time. You know, it's it's limited and we have to choose what the biggest impact we can make is in the limited time that we have. And right now I've tried to become much more intentional about that. How do I use every moment to, to make the biggest impact or to work on the problems that I find are most meaningful?
0: And what do you love most about yourself? <laughs> that's, a, that's another
1: tough question. <laughs>
0: um, yeah,
1: I think, I think my willingness to take risks, I think is one thing that I've started to try to cultivate more in myself and also try to appreciate more. It's just like, again, life is short. so try something new and, you know, try and make a difference. Don't settle for just doing things day to day because it's expected of you.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I like that. And one piece of advice that you can give to anyone listening um, and how they can get involved or what's the first step you you would, like, what's your invitation for them?
1: I think everybody tends to undervalue the skill sets that you have. You know, I just got off this Twitter space where all of these artists were saying, well, my job is the easy part. You know, the technical work is is hard or the community building is hard or the project management is hard. And everybody thinks that they're like, and to me, that's just so ridiculous because I've been, you know, working with artists in this space and the amount of work they put into their their craft is incredible. And the, the, you know, the amount of skill and effort that goes into refining that craft is amazing. And people tend to undervalue what they bring to the table. And I think one thing is a sort of a call to action is everybody wants to see the world in a better place. Everybody wants to see things change. And the truth is, is that the skills that you have are most likely more impactful and more meaningful than you think. And everybody can make a big difference uh, in, in sort of bringing that to fruition. I think we've become a culture that's been so negative. It says there's nothing we can do, but I think everybody brings so much to the table. Um, to me, like the engineering is even and I'm sort of doing this myself. I'm like the engineering is easy; it's everything else that's important, right? And it's it's true. Like everybody brings something to the table. And if you see a brighter future, if you see a problem, or you see that something that you need to change, you know, figure out a way to bring your skills and 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 make that difference.
0: I think we ended on a really positive and high note, um, Jamil, Thank you so much. Before you go, where can people connect with you and hang out? Yeah, so my
1: uh, probably Twitter is the best way. That's what how I've always, you know, sort of interacted with people. It's uh, uh, Jamil, J-A-M-I-L, B-T-C. So at Jamil B-T-C is my my Twitter handle.
0: Yeah. So actually, before you go, you is Gamma also on on Instagram, correct? A lot of the listeners are there. So I'll link the that in our show notes. Yes, well. and
1: Gamma is also on Twitter too, at, uh, at TriGamma.
0: Okay. Jamil, thank you so much. I so appreciate you taking the time.
1: Likewise. It's been a pleasure. Thanks so much, man.
0: Thank you for tuning in. I so appreciate you being here. My intention with this podcast is to empower you to walk into another world feeling confident. Through powerful conversations, we can build this bridge together. If you love this conversation, please leave a review on iTunes. And if you're feeling extra generous, share this episode with a friend who's curious too. To stay connected, find me on Twitter and IG at Vanes Vibes. See you next week when we unravel a little bit more.